0: the Mac Observer's Mac Geekeb episode 625 for Sunday, October 2nd,
1: 2016. Good folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geekeb. The show where the goal is for all of us to learn at least three, no, 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 four new things, because we're going to answer your questions, we're going to share your tips. We sometimes share cool stuff found, not today, I don't think today, although that might happen too, because uh, we never really know what's going to happen here. But that is our goal, learning at least four new things, for all of us, myself included. Sponsors for this episode include Casper at casper.com slash M G G where coupon code M G G will save you 50 bucks off of a fantastic mattress. We'll talk more about that shortly. Gazelle at gazelle.com where you can turn your old iPhones into money. And it's not just iPhones. It's some laptops, your iPads, all of that stuff. They make it really easy. We'll talk more about that shortly and text expander from smile software, We're visiting smilesoftware.com slash geek, gets you a 50% discount, half off the first year for their new Lifehacker subscriptions. And we'll talk more about that shortly here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in fearful Connecticut, John F. Braun. How goes it today, Mr. John F. Braun? It's getting chilly. It is, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the fall weather today. Not so much. I think, I think uh, I was mentioning in the pre-show that uh, I think allergies are, are uh, affecting me today. I woke up and felt like a truck hit me, but, but that's okay. So I, I should warn you and, and everyone that, uh, that as the show started as the, you know, I, I do the little, or you did the intro today. And then, and then as the music plays, that's when I have my first sip of tea. And today that tea is caffeinated folks. So, uh, all so, right, yep, that's right anyway uh, let's get into some of these questions shall we and let's see if we can uh, if we can make this thing work for us because that's how that's gonna go and we'll start with less because less has a good question that I think is important to all of us he says uh I noticed that there are some chargers that charge my iPhone more quickly than uh, than others he says and this is not true of just the iPhone but also just some batteries in our laptops. Does the speed of the charge hurt the battery, help the battery, or have no effect? It's a good question. Um, and I'm actually curious to hear your thoughts on this, John. So I'm going to put you on the spot before I share, before I share mine. Um, what, do you, what do you think? Or what do you know? Because uh, I, I know believe, you know more about this. Yeah.
0: Well, the fast charging is the amount of current. So when you're charging something, if you have more current, uh, it will charge whatever it's trying to charge quicker. Here's the bad news with that, based on what I've read here and there. So uh, I, I don't know if this is necessarily based on scientific evidence here. but um, So the thing is, if you're sending more current, you're also generating more heat, right? Mm, sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, some say that the additional heat generated by doing a fast charge may shorten... The life of the battery versus doing a normal one. So for most devices, one amp is uh, is standard. Five volts, one amp, right? For for a USB charging, sure. I'm sorry, twelve. No, no, I'm sorry. Five, five five volts is correct.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So USB, five volts, one amp.
0: Yeah, one amp is normal. Um, if uh, if devices can accept it, a lot of chargers will generate uh, at least for uh. I guess for iPads it's determined to be 2.1 is the most current. Right. And for some strange reason the Android seems to be 2.0, or at least when I've seen chargers that differentiate they're like, yeah, you know, here's the 2.0 amp port and here's the 2.1 port. But it's so up to some it. have said the additional heat may shorten the life of the battery. That's all I'll say is that <sighs> So I don't take my advice here because I whenever I can fast charge I fast charge because I want to charge fast. Right. 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 Well, so it's but it's up to the device to request more current.
1: Correct? I mean it it's it, it if you plug your um
0: uh, well, it should take as much as uh, it's designed to. as it's so designed to,
1: right? So, it, it, if you there's pl- a
0: component that'll limit the current based on what's designed to do. So, if somebody tries to give it more, it should say, "Well, no, no, no." You, uh, uh, a component somewhere in should, the device, uh, not in the charger, but in the device, correct. it says, "No,
1: hold back on that." That's right. Yeah, and and actually with with iOS devices, because it's not just limited to iPads. I'll get that in a, in a second. Um, with iOS devices. There's actually a different sort of handshake that happens to get all the way up to that two point one amp uh, thing, and and if the handshake it doesn't happen, meaning if the charger's not also built to do the handshake, uh, then it may not go all the way up to two point one amps. Um, it's and that's just the way that works, and makes it a little bit interesting for people that want to create. Chargers that will fast charge both Android and iOS devices. Like you said, sometimes they design them with separate ports, but also some companies uh, anchor is one of them and KER. They have they call it their power IQ technology, but other companies have have something similar just without that brand name that will negotiate and and go up higher. So, yeah, I would you're right about heat. Um, but I don't take that advice either. I, I let it charge and I trust that the device is smart enough to pull the current that it should pull. Um, but I will point out that it's not just the iPad uh, since I believe the iPhone six and certainly the 6S, iPhones, if available will take more than just the one amp of current. They uh, remember I have, it's odd. I haven't tested this. I didn't even think about it until just now. I haven't tested this with my, iphone 7 yet but with my iphone 6s it would pull like like 1.6 amps or something i mean it was more than one but less than 2.1 which my ipad pulls and uh and it's fun to have one of those handy little uh usb power meters in uh that that you can get them from amazon for like 10 bucks or something we'll put we'll file find a link to to either the one that i have or something similarly available and we'll put that in the show notes but uh but it's handy. You just put it in line and it'll tell you what the the voltage and the amperage is on the uh, whatever's passing through it. So fun stuff. Good question. And uh, yeah, I think I think you're safe to let if the device is designed to be fast charged, I think you're safe to, to let it fast charge. But don't. And you would have to go out of your way to do this. Five volts is, as John said, what what USB devices are built for. Don't try to re-engineer that and send more voltage to it than it was built to have, because that will break things in many, many, many cases. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. I mean, if it's designed for five volts and you somehow figure out a way to send it 10, that's bad. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. I've seen that happen. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. You have. That's right. Yeah. I'm almost certain that's what happened with that charger that self-destructed is that it was sending. It's like, ah, yeah, 12 volts okay, yeah, let's let it through. It's fine. It'll charge faster. they will good love enough us. for the car. It's good <laughs> enough for the phone. good enough for the car
1: <laughs> yeah, that sucks. you have a you still have a dead iPad to show for that so. yeah I'll probably
0: do the flat rate right on it
1: yeah, 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 okay. moving on to Michael Michael writes uh oh where's Michael here? yeah, okay uh. When I do a spotlight search for a file while my clone drive is attached, I find two versions of the file, one from my internal SSD and one on the external clone. I clone my drive daily to a two gig partition on a four gig external drive. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, I use this other partition for time machine. The drive is attached all day at work. Is there a way to tell spotlight not to search the clone or a way to distinguish the real file from the clone without having to do a get info? No, no. There is no way to, other than a get info, there's no way to, to tell the files apart. Um, There's two solutions here and you should employ both of them. I think number one, go into system preferences, spotlight and privacy and add your clone drive. And and drive is the wrong term. Although in many cases it applies, but in your case uh, it's, we're actually talking about the clone partition. You've got two partitions on the same drive but they mount like they're separate drives on the desktop. And we'll get to that in a second. So add the clone partition to the list here. You can add folders to this list if you don't want Spotlight uh, revealing results from those things. Uh, whether or not it actually indexes them is often independent of what happens in this list. I haven't tested it with Sierra yet, but but certainly with, with previous OSs, I would add things to this list and they would still be in the index. They just wouldn't the, the results wouldn't be exposed in searches so so that will help solve your problem but depending on how your cloning is happening the software doing the cloning may overwrite the spotlight preferences cuz they're simply stored as files so if you're cloning from a drive that is allowed to be searched to a drive that isn't it might copy that file carbon copy cloner i believe and superduper both will preserve that state once a clone is finished but uh, but it should so it's you should be okay but put it in that list that that will keep it from being exposed when the drive is mounted when the partition is mounted correct myself however um, a better thing to do is to eject your clone partition after the clone is made each day and and this is one of the reasons for it the other is Uh, partially related to this, you don't want to make changes on your clone that are going to get blown away when the, uh, you know, when the clone happens again every day. So you can eject the clone partition without ejecting the other partition that's on that same drive. If you do it from the finder, the finder will ask you, do you want to eject both? Look, these are, you know, you're trying to eject a partition that's on one drive or a partition that's on a drive with multiples that are mounted. Do you want to eject all of them? And, and you can say no to that and it will only eject the one, but if you're using carbon copy cloner, it will, there is a checkbox in the settings for each clone job where you can check it and say, eject this after the clone is done. And you want to do that. It will only eject that one. I do exactly the same thing as you. I have a clone partition and then just sort of a a general partition on a four terabyte external drive. It's very, very, my setup is very similar to yours. And this works just fine. The other partition stays mounted. I don't have any problems, but the clone goes offline uh, once the f- clone is finished. And and certainly with Carbon Copy Cloner, and I believe SuperDuper does it too now, uh, it, it, they will mount the drive or the, the partition before the clone starts and you're okay. So this is really the best way to do it. Keeping it offline as much as possible uh, limits your opportunity for choosing the wrong file, etc. That's my thoughts on this. Clone Wars, John. Spotlight Clone Wars. I don't even know if it's really a clone war. No, it's not a war. But I I like the term um, clone wars.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For obvious reasons. Uh, The other thing to mention is, yeah, if you hold down command with the spotlight window up, it shows you the path of the file that's highlighted. So that may help you. Oh, Oh, I like that. Yeah, I remember that. And the other thing is, I have this happen too. I don't know, Time Machine seems to get confused when it sees a drive and a clone drive and then it tries to back both of them up. Oh, that's true. You should exclude the clone from Time Machine as well. That's a good point, John. I just noticed that happening one day is that my my backup, uh, you know, so I do two backups on my Mac Mini. I do a Carbon Copy Cloner and a Time Machine. The problem is the order I was doing them. So what I would do is it, it would start off with, and then I changed the order, but I would start off by having the clone drive mounted and um and time machine would come along and say, Oh, look, there there's there's two things for me to back up now. And I'm like, No, 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 no. No, no, there's not. <laughs> but it it seems to think so, because I, I actually had one fail. It said, Well, your your backup failed because you you don't have enough disk space allocated. And I'm like, What? Right. And I looked and I'm like, I got plenty of space on my time. Oh, because it was trying to back up both the drives. Right. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know why it gets dumb like that because it sees the same something. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, that it, the the time machine settings are also stored as a file on the drives. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets it gets interesting. Okay, moving on to Roger, um, which brings us into Sierra territory, but not really. Actually, there's a there's just a tip here. Roger wrote in. Roger, no, Roger wrote in and says, uh, "I discovered that my old friend Handbrake didn't work after installing Sierra. I can't find any chatter on the internet about it, uh, and if and when it will be upgraded to fix the problem." And and as it turns out, Handbrake runs just fine on Sierra, but uh, there is a tip in this here because if you download, and this is this is true of of previous OSs as well, but when you download Handbrake they don't have an Apple developer license that they can bake into Handbrake. Uh, and therefore, they when the app launches, it will say Handbrake can't be opened because it's from an unidentified developer. And that's the default uh, OS ten or sorry, default Mac OS security preferences. You can fix this a couple of different ways, but the simplest way to fix it is to hold down the option key. Oh, sorry, not the option key. Hold down the control key or right-click on the app and choose open. And I know this seems the same as double-clicking it, uh, but it's not. When you choose right-click and open, it will give you a similar but not the same message that will allow you to bypass it and approve this app. And you only have to do this once. And after that, the app is on the, the systems list, your systems list of approved apps, and then it will launch just fine. So that's the, uh, that's the trick. And sometimes with a new OS install, that list can get reset. It shouldn't, but I've seen it. And I think in Roger's case, that's, that's what happened here. So, uh, so just remember that if you see an app, when you try to launch it, come up and say it can't be open because it's from an unidentified developer. Just go to the app. You might have to open the applications folder uh, and then right click on it or control click on it and choose open and then approve it. And you're good to go. So just a good little reminder for all of us that that, uh, this is a normal thing. It's Apple protecting us from ourselves. Yeah. Or somebody else. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, the evil doers, the evil doers. Yeah. That's really what it is. Yeah. 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 And, And it's good to point out that up until a couple of years ago, all software was distributed without these protections in place, like for, for many, many decades. So, it's, it's this is this is a new protective thing. Some apps just haven't come on board with it and handbrakes one of them, um, probably because it's developed and it's free the way it's developed. It's it's available for free and they don't want to pay for a developer license and go through. Frankly, I don't think they want to go through the headache of it. They just want to develop their software. So good stuff. Uh, while we're on that subject, though, uh, I want to remind everyone that's using Homebrew which is a package manager for OS 10 to update homebrew for Mac OS Sierra. And and what you need to do is just go to your terminal and first type brew up, brew space update and hit uh, enter, and then let it do all of that and then do brew space upgrade. And you guess you could do it on the same line with brew update space and, and space upgrade, but um, this will migrate you over to the Sierra, not only the Sierra versions of your packages, but also the the uh, homebrew moved its location so that it's no longer in a place where Apple will clobber its permissions regularly. You might have to update <clears throat> when you do that brew update, you might have to update uh, your permissions once just in order to let it update in the old location. And then and then it will migrate over and hopefully going forward, you won't run into any problems. So if you uh, if you are a Brew user, and if you're not a Brew user, um, it's worth checking out because it's a great way to uh, to kind of do all kinds of terminal terminal e things, not terminal things for your Mac. What's the right way to say that? Fun stuff from the command line.
0: You you don't use Brew, right? No, I'm looking right now see if Fink still works. Oh, yeah. I, my guesses, I is still it, use that. My guess is it does. Yeah. Oh, no, it sees, well, it updated its package list.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah my guess is it right.
0: still works. Yeah.
1: Anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. I spent some time yesterday updating Homebrew. And 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 actually, that's not just a Sierra thing. Even if you're still on a prior OS, it's, Brew has still moved into a new home and you should, you should do those updates regardless anyway, because that's what keeps your packages up to date and keeps things running. So. Uh, But it's easy to forget that, oh, yeah, I've got to go do that. So anyway, yes, yes. And it can be really handy. Uh, Somebody in the chat room, Kiwi Graham, in fact, in the chat room at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. Hello to everyone. Says that uh, he uses Homebrew for uh, the iPerf3 network speed testing package, which is it's great. It just makes it really easy because if you wanted to install iperf three. Otherwise, you'd have to download sources and compile them on your own and all of this stuff that's really a pain in the neck. And that's why package managers exist to take care of all of those headaches for you. And all you do, installing brew requires one command that you go to the the website, which we'll link you to, and, and you just copy it and paste it and it puts it in place. And then to install something like iPerf3, you just go to the terminal, you say brew space install space iPerf3 enter. And it will download it, it will install it, and then once the command prompt comes back, you can type iPerf3 and you now have that command on your system. It's that simple. So, it's a very cool thing. It's not scary. In fact, it takes a lot of the scary stuff and makes it okay. The caffeine's working, John. Are ready? Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Ken. Ken says, just got back from my first g- vacation in two years. And mail is trying to punish me. The program crashed for some reason while I was away. I leave it open so I can send an away message. Uh, This has happened before, so I don't think that's relevant to the problem, but just throwing it out there. The problem is, I have a series of smart mailboxes for today's mail, yesterday's mail, one-day-old mail, and so on up to whatever number I need. For this vacation, I'll need 11. However, when I tried to duplicate the eight-day-old mailbox so that I could make the nine-day-old mailbox... Suddenly every single mailbox using the rule received is exactly X days ago defaults to zero today's mail. The today's mail and yesterday's mail smart mailboxes are unaffected by this, but whatever value I put into the blank, it reverts back to zero. I have tried rebuild on the mailboxes. I have tried to recreate the smart mailboxes, but even the replacements refuse to accept any value other than zero. These mailboxes are how I find mail in the workplace, and it's making me crazy, not to mention making it a bear, trying to recreate my timesheets for the period. I'm an attorney. Any suggestions? So this is going to sound strange, Ken. And Welcome back from vacation. Uh, my suggestion is going to sound strange, but bear with me. Try turning off your Internet connection. And that might be as simple as just turning off Wi-Fi if you're only connected via Wi-Fi or unplugging your Ethernet cable. Or you could go and mess around in network system preferences, but it's probably easier just to unplug your Ethernet cable. And then try creating these mailboxes. And the reason I suggest that is iCloud will sync smart mailboxes at times to your other machines or from your other machines. And it's possible... That's what's getting in your way here. So by taking your computer offline and creating these mailboxes and then put, and and if they, if it works, then you know that it was an iCloud sync issue Uh, and then putting it back online. And hopefully that change pushes as opposed to gets overwritten by what's in the cloud. It might be something where you want to do this on a different computer and try and sync those as well. Or, and I think you can do this if you go into iCloud system preferences and uncheck the mail button or uncheck the mailbox system preferences, iCloud uncheck mail. See if that works too. Those are my thoughts on this. I don't, I don't know what what's going to work for Ken on this, but that's where I would start. How about you, John? <clears throat> all
0: my mailboxes are dumb. So
1: do you use um, no. mail syncing in iCloud? I don't, I have it turned off on all my machines because it, it was always kind of weird for me. Yeah. Mm. So you don't? No. Okay. Got it. Very good then. Nothing else to say on this one, John? No. Okay. Well, all right then.
0: It's something uh, i watch out for.
1: It. It is. Yeah, no, it's, it's a little but crazy. But I don't do
0: it, so it'll probably never happen to me. Right, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: All right. Let's, um, Let's take a little time here and talk about some of our sponsors, John. The first one I want to talk about is Gazelle at gazelle.com. This is where you go and sell your old iPhone. I had actually had a bunch of iPhones that I'd been meaning to, to sell off and all that stuff. And uh, with the arrival of the new seven, I had an old iPhone five that I wanted to turn into cash. And it was a 16 gig iPhone 5. And yes, I'll be perfectly honest. I could have tried to sell it to, you know, somebody local or or on eBay or whatever. I didn't want to go through the hassle of that. And the price that Gazelle was going to give me for it was pretty close to what I could have sold it for uh, with the headache. And I thought, well, I'll just do it with Gazelle because they're great folks. And so and they make it super easy. I didn't have to go through any headache. Right. The, the box arrived. I, go, I went to Gazelle, put in what I had, told me, yep, here's what we'll pay you for it great um i agreed to that and i agreed to get a little bit more because i said give it to me as amazon money uh, as opposed to cash and you get an extra five percent so i was like sweet no problem this time of year uh i know i'm going to be spending money on amazon because well because it's you know the sun still rises every day and that seems to be all it takes to get me to spend money on amazon so uh i got the box that they sent me for free in the mail i put my iPhone in it. I didn't have to put the charger or the cable or anything else. I just put the phone in, used the packing material that came in the box, including a piece of tape and a return shipping label. I sent it back to Gazelle. And they said, um, It's not worth what we told you it was worth. It's worth less because the phone's not unlocked. I thought, No, the phone's unlocked. So I just wrote them back. And they said, Okay, sorry, we'll check into it. And sure enough, a day later I get another email. Yep. The offer is, you know, they, they said they've raised the offer, but that's only because they had lowered it, but they raised it exactly back up to where, uh, they had originally promised and the money. I I got the money instantly. And that was, that was that their customer service responded instantly. Stellar people there. Uh, and they apologized for, for the confusion, but you know, it happens. I highly recommend it. I've used gazelle over and over again. Uh, every time either i've interacted with their customer service or any time you folks have interacted with their customer service and told us about it it's been stellar so check them out gazelle.com and our thanks to gazelle for sponsoring this episode i also want to talk about text expander john because text expander is a tool that i couldn't imagine living without text expander allows me to do all kinds of things very, very quickly that would otherwise take me a little while and also be fraught with human error. I always use the example of your address right now. I actually have your address memorized because I see it come up, but anytime somebody says I want to send John, you know, a product or whatever, I don't have to look up your address. And here's the other thing. I don't have to look up mine either. Now I know my address. I'm I'm pretty good with this stuff, but Typing it out is kind of a pain. There's punctuation and returns and all that stuff. That's just, there's no reason to have to type that and, and risk putting a typo in. Because here's the deal. I live in Durham, New Hampshire. So that's Durham comma NH. There is a more popular Durham in the United States. And that's in North Carolina. Guess what, folks? That's one letter different instead of durham comma nh it's durham comma nc heaven forbid instead of typing nh i typed ng right somebody might see that and say he didn't mean ng he meant nc and now boom the wrong stuff goes to the or the right stuff goes to the wrong place i don't want to mess with that so i use text expander and i type comma dhadd for my address boom out it comes for yours john of course jbadd and it comes out just fine. And now, Text Expander is available by subscription. They were very sensitive to what customers were saying when they first rolled out the subscription thing and they altered their pricing. But you get even better pricing. Visit slash geek, and you'll get a 50% first year discount on their new Life Hacker subscription. Uh, that landing page includes a pop up that will ask you for your email address. They will not put you on a list unless you want to be, but they will send you a one-time email with instructions on claiming your discount. So you got to check this out. The pop-up will turn off on November 15th. So you've got a month uh, and the redeem codes are good at least through November 20th, but uh, but just take care of this. Now go download it, get your code, play with it a little bit, and then make sure you buy it. I'm going to say buy it before the end of October. And that way, you know, if Halloween is here and you still haven't bought Text Expander, consider it emergency time because you don't want that to run out. So before you put on your costume, before you put on your little face paint and stuff, maybe you could be the Text Expander logo for Halloween because that would be cool. Go ahead and do this. Our thanks to Smile at SmileSoftware.com geek for sponsoring this episode. Do we have time for one more sponsor in this spot here, John? You think so? Uh, Hurry. Hurry. Okay. Well, I don't want to hurry anybody. But uh, Casper is our third sponsor, as I mentioned. Absolutely the most comfortable mattress I've ever slept on. Now, this is at casper.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks on a mattress, comes with free shipping. And if you don't like it, you have 100 days to decide that, they will take it back. Also free shipping, no money out of your pocket. Uh, if you try the mattress and don't like it, plus buying a mattress can be a pain in the neck. Cause you go to the store and you lay down on this thing, right in your clothes. Cause they get really angry. If you, uh, if you sleep in the nude and, and you want to, uh, and you want to check out a mattress in the store in its natural environment, bring your sheets and stuff. They get really freaked out at the store. But guess what? Nobody gets freaked out in your house or, well, the people at the store. The Casper folks don't get freaked out if you want to try this at home because that's what it's intended to be. You get to test this mattress at home. They have figured out how to make, like I said, what I think is the most comfortable mattress I've ever slept on. But they want you to feel that way too. And if you don't, take it back. So you get 100 nights risk-free in your home. If you don't love it, they just pick it up and you get all your money back. The mattresses are made here in America and they're foam mattresses. I don't want to say they're all memory foam because they're not. They, they're they a foam, uh, I call it a foam sandwich, but it's, it's a bunch of different types of foam to make it. Yeah, and some of it, the, the, the majority of it is memory foam, but some of it is foam to keep you from getting too sweaty. It's all just built perfectly. So you got to check this thing out. Visit casper.com slash MGG. That's how they know you came here from us and then make sure. And there's instructions on that page for how to do the next part. Find the size mattress you want and then make sure you use coupon code MGG. Saves you 50 bucks. You get free shipping. It is outstanding. Our thanks to Casper for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, you want to take us, You why don't you tell us you had a, um, a thing with uh, back and forth with the listener about uh, it's an iBooks problem they were having, but it, it, your solution kind of gets a little bit bigger than that. So you want to just tell us that story, my friend?
0: I will tell you the story. So someone wrote in and said, iBooks isn't working for me. Um, what do we mean by not working? Well, I'm going to tell you. And and we got a screenshot of all this here. So uh, iBooks, is, as you probably know, is uh, something you can access from your Mac. Or your iOS device. Um, and there'll be things that you either downloaded for free or you may have paid for. Um, here's the thing, though. He was getting these errors. Uh, so one was cannot open iPhone user's guide for iOS 10. It is formatted incorrectly or it's not a format that iBooks can open. On another machine, the error was uh, you know, similarly similar. It says this book can't be opened. This book is corrupt. The thing is, the, the same message was coming up on multiple devices, Dave. At first, I thought it may be that maybe the file, in fact, is corrupt. You know, uh, your disk is going bad or something. But to, seeing as how it was happening on more than one device led me to believe that the, the problem is not local. It's it's farther upstream. It was kind of my suspicion here. And I was like, well, why don't you try maybe re-downloading one? Uh, and you can do this. So the thing is, if you look in iBooks, you'll see some have a little cloud next to them, which means, hey, I'm in the cloud, but I'm not stored locally. And you can also download them and store them locally. And if you do store them locally, some I'm like, well, you know, let, let, let's look here. And and if you look in your home directory, library, containers, com.apple.bk, agent service, and a little farther down, you'll actually see the, the publication. It should be a .epub file or there could be other types, but that's sure. the one that I had. You know, it's a and there's a P list file. So I'm like, you know, look there, and then you know, let's let's see if maybe the files are corrupt or or screwed up somehow. And I had two files, a P list file that was 2K, and and one of the books I downloaded 23 megs. All right, so that's a reasonable size. And he showed me that as well. And they were all EPUBs. Now the dates were uh, a lot of them. The dates were years ago. Somewhere recent though the sizes all looked reasonable. I'm like, oh man, you know, it, it just still sounds like some sort of corruption or maybe some DRM. And I think you, you figured that as well. Uh, you threw something in the Sure. Here, yeah, saying, yeah. Yeah. Right. It sounds DRM ish. You know, it sounds like something's confused somewhere in the system here where it doesn't think you should be able to view this. It's, it's not a corrupt file in a sense. It was though. And I was thinking this when, when I mentioned the DRM, I, I remember that, that there was this problem with Apple installers a while ago, Dave, And it's kind of related. But you remember this is some of the the installers for the OS had a certificate that expired. And if you tried to run them, they'd be like, sorry, I'm I'm too old. I can't run anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I actually had to download a new copy. Um, In this case, it was a little different. And what I think the problem was here, well, it was confirmed, is that Bill said he finally cracked the nut when he said, he said, well, it was a DRM issue in a sense, um, so we said log out of your Apple ID and log back in. That didn't quite do it. Really? Uh, some, okay. Doing something similar solved the problem. And this is also an option in iTunes and in uh, iBooks. And I was looking at this as well, and I'm like, you know, I wonder if this would work. And what solved the problem, Dave, was deauthorizing and reauthorizing.
1: Mm. Oh, I device. didn't think of that. Right. So signing out and signing back in didn't do it, but deauthorizing the device. Oh, of
0: course. So what course, I'm thinking is some it's DRM of the, related.
1: Yeah.
0: So I think because a lot of um, books and apps are, are tied somehow. If you go through the the various app stores or iBook store or whatever, a lot of things are tied to uh, your Apple ID or or your device being authorized. And I, I think what happened is that data got stale. Right. But once, it, once he reauthorized, then everything seemed to work. So, so in a sense, the, the content that was already downloaded, I suspect, had an old certificate or an old key or something in it that by doing this deauthorize, reauthorize, uh, all of a sudden brought it to its senses. So for a lot of these types of problems, logging out and logging back in solves it. But in this case, a deauthorize, reauthorize uh did the trick
1: that totally makes sense
0: yeah and that's kind of i I, I was grasping for straws though because i'm like what's left and it's that it's uh, the whole authorization process um something to keep in mind also in this uh you know especially well i don't think it. uh, no it doesn't apply to ios but um but you you want to be when you get rid of a device we were just talking about that if you're going to be selling a device yeah. um, not so much an iOS device but um but but computers you may want you may want to make sure you, you can only have a certain number of computers authorized to consume uh content associated with your Apple ID right that's right yeah yeah
1: no that's great i i, I had not thought of i it i knew or it felt in my gut that it was a drm thing um but i never thought about deauthorizing and reauthorizing the the device that's smart yeah 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 cool awesome thanks for uh thanks for sharing that man okay let's um let's go to some ancillary devices lauren has a question and then and then david does too so let's let's see what what we can get from lauren here lauren asks i was wondering If you knew of a good ODB two device that works with an iPhone to give you diagnostic info for your car. I recently had the battery in my car go bad and I have no indicator built in for the battery and would like to be able to monitor this in the future. So do either of you use one or know of one that can work with an iPhone? So, yeah, I, I actually use the first generation device from automatic uh, which is an uh, a, a device that plugs into the ODB two port in your car and tracks the uh track. Well, it, their app tracks a, a few things, including error codes and that, but, but really it, it's built to track your driving habits and let you know if you're doing the right thing for fuel economy. And, and it's, it's actually, I really like it because it kind of tells you, all right, you know, that trip, likely cost you X amount of dollars in gas. And what it's doing is, is pulling fuel prices from your local area and knowing what type of fuel you buy And that, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's very, I I really kind of like it when my daughter started driving, they have a cool uh, teenager, like new driver tracker thing that, that, Uh, allows her to earn points and things like that. And it really, it was, it was good. It helped her, you know, realize, Oh, I'm, I'm breaking too much, you know, or breaking too quickly here, uh, you know, accelerating too quickly there. And, and, you know, that kind of feedback after the fact is, is nice to get, but third-party apps are available that will read more data from the automatic uh, including all kinds of things. Like if, I mean, if you want like, you know, sport displays and all that kind of stuff that's available uh, so that that's one of them. They, <clears throat> pardon, they do have a new one out, the Automatic Pro, which I believe is a it's a new hardware dongle, uh, and that's what's available now. So uh, from Automatic, I think it's uh, 130 bucks or something. So that that's the one I know about. I don't know about others, but I am seeing in the chat room here. Will run for fun suggests something called the Blue Driver. For a hundred bucks, the, uh, it's an ODB scan tool for iPhone, iPad, and Android, and it uses Bluetooth, which is what the, uh, automatic does to, uh, to communicate with your, with your, uh, with your iPhone. So,
0: and yes, sir, I'm going to mention one here because they gave us one years ago. Do That's they still, the still exist though? John? Is. yes. they. Do. Okay, cool. All right. Carmd.com. And that still works, huh? Uh, it looks like they updated it. Sure. So, yeah. Of um, course. Yeah. 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 So it plugs into the, uh, and what is OBD? You may be asking Onboard diagnostics. And two is the standard, um, ancient cars like my 94 are pre right OBD. Uh, mine is that they call it 1.5. So these units won't work with my car. I actually have to do something different in order to, to read the, the codes. Sure. Um, the one thing is I'm not sure if, even if you had one of these, it would report a bad battery. The only way I really know about that is that I've, uh, so I got AAA, which anybody who has an aging vehicle should have, but I actually had one time where I thought, uh where I needed a jump start. I, I guess I left my dome light on accidentally, and so my battery was dead. Sure. But, uh You know, so I called the AAA guy, and they actually have a special battery truck, and he came by, and he's like, yeah. Uh, you probably just need a jump, but, uh, I got this, uh, contraption here. That's basically going to tell me the load, how much, you know, your, your battery can hold. And as far as I know, that's really the only way you can test for that sort of thing is, uh, one of those things. Yeah. Huh. Very cool. Or, I mean, I mean, the only thing is that sometimes you, you should get an indicator that, uh, you know, your alternator is failing, which means it's not charging the battery. But right. Right. I don't know if. I don't know if you're going to get an OBD code telling you your battery is bad. Maybe you will. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: It, it, well, I, I, my guess is it depends on the car and how, what it's monitoring too. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Fun. I knew I, and this is why I wanted to include it in the show. Cause I knew we would get more than just the one thing that popped to mind for me. I, I had totally forgotten about car MD. It had been a long time. So I'm glad to see that they're still not only still at it, but uh, updating and, They've got you know new product and,
0: and you know if you if you search on Amazon and you just search on o b d two you'll find a whole bunch um some appear to be very mm. inexpensive,
1: <laughs> yeah right right well i mean it in theory it's it's there's not there's not a lot to these devices in terms of it just it's just reading the codes the the real trick is in getting that data to your phone in a, in a way that's meaningful to you. And and that's where, you know, companies like automatic and, and car MD and, and presumably this, um, this blue driver thing, I think it's from mm-hmm. Lemur monitors, but, uh, but that, you know, that's the value they're providing is okay. You know, now you, yep, we've got the data now let's show it to you in a way that, that actually helps you. So,
0: yep. And cool. I remember that the last time I used, um, and I use the, the you know they give me a review unit. I remember one time I actually ran on one of my parents' cars, and it gives you. It's like okay, you got this code, this code, this code. That probably means that this is broken, right? And here's how much that should cost you in your area to get fixed. Uh, that's so you know if it's like emissions related, it may be well you may need a new catalytic or, or you know right. for example, or you know this is bad and you you, you know uh, so they draw on their you know I guess the uh, yeah. A database of, uh, okay, if, if these codes come up, then that means this thing is broken. And you know, here's, here's how much money you need. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Okay. Uh, let's see.
1: Moving on to David. David's got a, a Dropbox question, which is important. Uh, he says, if I have folders in sync through Dropbox on two computers, all is perfect. Then one computers drive crashes will the new drive I set up from my clone realize the Dropbox folders Dropbox folders on the newly cloned drive are old and thus pull in the most recently updated files from Dropbox's servers? This hasn't happened to me yet, but I'm preparing for the worst. I want to make sure that when I clone the new drive, which will include the Dropbox folders that the newly cloned drive, it's getting confusing the way he asked this question. So the question is, if you take an old backup and you restore from an old backup, but there's newer stuff on Dropbox than there was in the backup, will Dropbox know, even though this drive was just created, that the stuff on the server is newer? And the answer is, in it, yes, it should. Now, it's always good to have, you know, a backup in cases like this, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah it 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 does know it keeps a version history it keeps track of all this stuff and I have experienced this where I've you know restored an old clone or an old backup and Dropbox has populated that uh with the uh with the you know the results of of whatever uh, was on the server and whatever it should have been so yeah. And and that and that's a good question because it I I remember the first time I went through it I was like oh I was I had the same concerns that David did so so yeah definitely it uh, it works it, if you can have a safety net of another backup obviously that's helpful Dropbox does keep even for a free account Dropbox keeps I believe thirty days of uh, history online so if you delete something you can go and get it back if you overwrite a file you can go and get it back so um, so. And it, it it works, but uh but always have a have a backup. While we're talking about syncing software, I want to I wanna mention something because uh for a long time I was using what was called BitTorrent Sync and now it's called Resilio Sync to sync my my documents folder. I actually used Dropbox initially. Then I used Synology's Cloud Station for a while, but it was kind of it got kind of flaky uh, for a little bit, and so I wound up moving to Resilio or BitTorrent Sync, which is now Resilio Sync. And recently I moved back to using Synology's Cloud Station. And I have to say, I am thoroughly pleased and really impressed with how far along Cloud Station has come. It's basically the same concept as Dropbox. Except instead of using Dropbox as your server, you're using your own, or a friend's, I suppose, uh, Synology Disk Station as the server. So it's not the peer-to-peer thing that, uh, that, that BitTorrent slash ResilioSync is. It's, it's a, you know, a client-server environment. But man, it, their Mac support is so good. Uh, it just works really, really smooth. And uh, and even migrating from you know from Resilio Sync to, all, to to Cloud Station, all I had to do was just you know point the engine at the folders. It it didn't it it inherited the data that was already on my machines and just cleaned it up and made sure it was all in sync. It didn't have to like I didn't have to blow anything away and resync it or anything. It was really really smart about it. So. And this is just part of me being a geek is, is I like to try new things. Resilio sync was actually giving me some fits. I reported some bugs to them and, uh, and they're working on it, which is great. Uh, I had some edge case things that were screwing things up. Uh, like there, there's certain characters in file names. I believe if a file name ends with an asterisk, uh, it screws up Resilio sync. And, uh, and I get why from a programming standpoint. And, and I even get that that might be unavoidable, but, it wasn't telling me that that was the problem. And so things mostly were syncing, but not entirely. I guess I had some files in an old archive. I, I've got like 20 gigs of data that I'm syncing in my, you know, my documents folder and I can't go through and check every file to make sure that they match what Resilio says they should, or BitTorrent Sync says they should. So, um, so I reported to them and they agreed. They're like, Oh yeah, we got to be able to report this to the user. So they're working on that. But I thought, well, this is a good opportunity to check cloud station again. And, uh, and I also just like to test things, you know, so, uh, back to cloud station for now and thoroughly pleased, really, really impressed with, uh, with how smooth it is resource wise, even on older machines, it's running totally fine. It runs fine on Sierra too. So really blown away. So I figured I'd just, i just share that here. Do you use cloud cloud station, John? I mean, I know we used it no. years ago for, for some of our Mac geek stuff, but no. Okay. It's cool. Runs a little client on your Mac. It's very similar to Dropbox. So it's all good stuff. All right. You want to, uh, speaking of files on different platforms, because cloud station does work on, uh, obviously non Mac platforms because it's Synology. That's, you know, that runs Linux in its own little way, but they have, you know, Windows clients and Linux clients and all that stuff. Um, why don't you take us to Bob?
0: I'll take us to Bob. All right. Bob's got a problem. (laughs) Bob's got a Mac, and he works in a place that uses Windows. So Bob's not alone. We have a lot of listeners like that. Yeah, yeah. So um, here's the problem, or here's the question: In macOS, is there a way to create Windows clickable file paths? What does he mean by that? What does that mean? Well, yeah. What does he file... mean by that? I, this
1: is the, I was confused by the question, so I, I was well, glad you took this
0: one. And I'll tell you what he means. The thing is, on the different platforms, the way that you indicate the path or the the way to find a file has a different syntax so for example on the Mac and uh, actually this is Going to be mentioning uh, an article that I found that's kind of part of this, and and it's an article over at this uh, Tech Review site. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Uh. We love Tech reviews. so Tech Review was started by um, MGG
1: Jim, by Jim Tanis, who helps us out here with uh, with some behind the scenes stuff for Mac Geekab from time to time. So yeah, Tech Review rocks. T E K R E V U E
0: dot com. And so we, I found this uh, kind of cool article that'll uh, fill up part of this, and it's called. OS 10 El Capitan, how to copy a file path in the Finder. And the quick story is you basically, if you highlight a file and you go to the edit menu, uh, normally you're going to see something that says uh, copy. But if you hold down option, then copy changes to copy blah, blah, blah as path name. So that's part of the equation. So that's how you get the path to a file on the Mac. And it's going to be usually... Something of the form slash volume slash something slash something. It could be a network share. It could be local. Um, ending with the name of the file. So that's how it's on the Mac. So again, slash, a regular slash, um, then a volume. So that's always going to be part of it. And then slash in either a local directory or, or a, a network share. Now, Windows people, they had to screw everything up and do it totally different. So the way that you reference a file on Windows is like a caveman. You actually use a letter to indicate the drive. So in this case, he showed one that has K colon. And then just to be different, they use the backslash instead of a forward slash. Yeah. It's like, guys, why? Why? Well, it's, it's a holdover to, from the, the old, old,
1: old, old, old DOS days. But, uh, but yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, at least we're not using, you know, um, slot six, drive one anymore.
0: Yes. (laughs) And then it will follow, uh, you know, a similar path, uh, you know, slash something slash something could be local, could be a, well, in this case, if it's not C, C is typically the, your main hard drive. Your boot uh, drive. Uh, Yeah. yeah. And then uh, typically network drives are given, are assigned to uh, letters that are farther along in the alphabet. The thing is, they're different. Um, wouldn't it be great if there was something that converted between them? Now, he mentioned one thing that uh, I tried. It's called Win Shortcutter, but it only advertises it's compatible with uh, Mac OS 10.8. And I verified that. It doesn't work. <laughs> and then he mentioned something else. I, I didn't have a, 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 I was made a cheapskate, and you got to buy it, so I didn't try it. But I did search around. And I did find a site that does this, Dave, and I think it does it in both directions. So I think this may be part of the answer. And uh, if you go to www.projectdream.de, which is good old Deutschland or Germany, and then slash path converter, this looks to be a little something. Now it's on a web page. I haven't yet found an app. I, I found scripts and... I didn't find anything that would do exactly what he needs to do here, but I th- I think this site is pretty close. And if anybody knows of an app that works with the latest OS that can do this uh two-way translation. Um another way to do it would be, I mean, when you look at it, Dave, I mean it's it it looks to be a pretty straightforward programming project, maybe an Apple script or something. Sure. Uh, so maybe you can get adventurous and whip something up there. But that site should convert between the two, and then here's the secret, so I don't think you can make it a clickable link on on the Mac. But like I said, there, you know, there's that way to retrieve that file path. And the thing is, if you get that, um, the way to actually access it um, is if you go to the Go menu in the Finder, and then you say Go to Folder. That's not entirely accurately named because if you if you type a path to a file, sure. in, the, in the Mac think it'll actually open that window and highlight that file. So, and he said he'd give it a whirl, but I think that's as close as we're going to get here. I don't know if there's any way, Dave, um, to get a URL that you can click on and, re- and lead you to a file on the Mac. Unless I've been missing something. It just seems something that should be there, but I, I don't well, think it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you go to file, right, isn't it file colon and then the... Um, the path will will get you there via
0: URL. I think. Okay, file colon slash slash.
1: Right. Uh, I don't know that it's slash slash. Let Let's see. Hang on. Let me Let me try this. So I'm doing file colon, uh, slash users slash Dave, and that brings me up. So it's single slash. It's whatever the path would be. It's file colon, and then the path, just like mail to colon, and then an email address. There's no slashes in there, right? So it's file colon. And then whatever the path is, which presumably starts with just a, um, you know, a single slash. So, um, yeah, yeah. So file colon, all lowercase. Were you but, typing this? Uh, I typed it in, in Safari, but I mean, it's right. a URL, you know? So, I mean, Safari is a great place to, 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 you know, test URLs cause it knows what to do with them. Um, but as well run for fun says in the chat room, if it's not a local file, uh, or on a locally mounted volume, you can use SMB colon slash slash or AFP colon slash slash to to get to um, either SMB or, or AFP shares out on the network. Right. Yeah. 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 Fun stuff. Cool. Um. All right. You want to uh, let's talk to let's talk to Michael. Let's bring us to Michael there, John, if you would, please.
0: Michael had kind of a rant, I think.
1: He did but it, but it brings in um, well, I mean he, he, it was a rant about the MacBook pro and and where it is and maybe where it's going, but uh, I figure that's timely because I think within the next couple of, couple of three yes. weeks, we might be seeing something new along those lines, so all
0: right so so Michael l- you can summarize you know whatever yeah yeah yeah. Um, I'm going to summarize so so Michael says, um, where's the power in the power book?" <laughs> of course. That's basically what he's saying. Yeah. It's like, where's it at, man? Doesn't have the juice anymore, is is what he, he uh what he's proposing. So he's saying that the MacBook Pro
1: isn't isn't powerful. It it does it isn't deserving of its predecessors power
0: uh n- n- nomenclature, is that right? Correct. And he uh, and he follows up, and, and this is where I did some digging. So sure. why is Apple reluctant to ad- adopt NVIDIA graphics and i seven processors? Which uh, PC laptops use. Um, so the thing is, I fired up our friend here, Mac Tracker, which is the, uh, to me, the best way to access a database of the capabilities of various Macs. Sure. And the thing is, if you choose wisely, you can get a Mac laptop with the features that he wants, which is a, so it sounds like two things is nine seven, and that's not really too much of a problem. Um, But the thing is, the graphics, and this is where you got to, uh, and I did this even when I got my MacBook. The thing is, depending on the MacBook Pro that you get, it may or may not have decent graphic capabilities. Um, So there's two types of graphic chipsets that we're going to talk about here. Integrated, which I'm going to call wimpy. Okay. Yeah. Built
1: into the CPU, low power, low battery consumption, and low output.
0: (laughs) And low, relatively low graphics power, right? And it uses system RAM, right? Okay, so it's going to make that slower because the system RAM is is typically slower than sure know, dedicated. The other type of graphic chipset is uh, what they're going to call discrete, and that is something like an NVIDIA or uh, other vendors where they make an explicit uh, graphics processing unit. To get something like that, first off, from what I can see, none of the uh, 13-inch MacBook Pro machines have a discrete. You have to get a 15-inch, and then only if you get a 15-inch that has a processor that is not at the bottom of the the product line. You have to typically get one that's in the middle or the top uh, processor-wise. Then you'll get the capability to have these two graphic chipsets. The thing is, software on the Mac can be written... To choose, um, to choose the high performance chipset. How does the software know? Well, you it, 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 you bake it in there somehow. Okay. Yeah. When right. You, um, right. When you develop the software, the thing is you can see this setting. If you go to CPU, uh, if you go to Activity Monitor, and then CPU, and then you are going to see uh, where is it? I can't see it. <laughs> I can't see it on this machine because it doesn't have that. Oh, right. But um, but I think it's high-performance graphics. You're going to see a checkbox for high-performance graphics. And if an app says, hey, that's what I need, then it will switch to the better or discrete uh, GPU. I'm I'm sorry, here's the category. Okay, it's on my MacBook Pro because my MacBook Pro has two chipsets. Right, right. right. Uh, And the flag is requires high-performance graphics. So if an app is set to do that, then when it's running... It's going to get the new chipset. The other thing that I found interesting, Dave, so I noticed this on Sierra, is that if I go to about this Mac, in the in the overview box, it now says, and I'm almost certain it didn't say this with the prior OS, it says yeah. Mac OS Sierra, blah, 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 graphics, and it lists both of my chipsets here. I don't think it used to do that. I think it only used to list the one that was... Active. Active, yeah, because oh, yeah. now it says, oh, well, this machine is uh has an NVIDIA GeForce GT650M and an Intel HD graphics. The huh. first, of course, being the discrete, and the second being the integrated. Yeah, yeah. Um, huh. there is a program which you can use to see this status. To see this status, um, and if you go to uh, let's see, I believe it's io.
1: Yeah, but even even with those those you know beefier graphics, is is Michael's point still true? Are they not beefy enough? I mean, like, there's no well, Mac, you're, you're, there's no Mac out there that'll run an Oculus Rift, right? There's there's no Mac that like correct. There's it, it, it's been weak for a while, and and you know like abduction, right? The new game from the creators of Mist, right? Mm-hmm. Um won't run on any Mac that doesn't support metal, right? And metal is, is Apple's relatively new couple year old APIs for Mm. letting game and, and other, uh, uh, developers, but mostly geared toward game developers get to closer to the metal, right? Talking directly to Mm. the graphics chip. And because this is relatively new for Apple, only recent Macs support it. And so I can't. And, and abduction is one of these games that requires metal on the Mac. So I can't run abduction on a lot of my Macs in the house. In fact, I can't even run it on this one in the studio. It's this is a 2011, uh, mm. you know, 27 inch iMac totally maxed out at the time, but doesn't have. It just wasn't around when metal was created. However, mm. if I put um, boot camp or parallels on this machine then it would run the game just fine. So the hardware in this machine is totally okay for it. It's just that Apple's tech wasn't there, right? DirectX totally works fine with this stuff. And in fact, I can even run it on my like, you know, whatever 6-year-old MacBook Air as long as I'm in uh you know, if I'm running Boot Camp or or it's some sort of emulation that that you know, lets things talk to the hardware. Uh so, you know, Apple wasn't focused on games in a way that and and graphics specifically in a way that really mattered for a long time and now they're slowly getting there, but uh but the current crop of of laptops doesn't have it. Um it's and, and you know, the current crop of lap, graphics aside, the current crop of laptops it's weird to me, right? Because the only way that you can get it feels to me like Sierra and maybe even El Capitan before it, but certainly Sierra, is really geared towards a minimum of four cores, or more than two cores on the CPU. Running Sierra on on something with two cores, and I'm curious as to your experience with this, John, as as you kind of move forward with Sierra, because uh, you have uh, at least one two-core machine, or no? Are you all four-core everywhere now? Well, it depends on how you define core. Well, I, I'm talking about how Apple defines core, right? So wh- like, well, like what- on my
0: on my MacBook Pro 2012, yeah. I'm showing four cores, but okay. I think two of them are hyper threading.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's fine. Right. Okay. Yeah. So those those, you know, four <laughs> core and that and I would consider that four in this scenario, right? You need those for Sierra to run well. I think you also need a minimum of eight gigs of RAM. I, I think Sierra with with less than eight gigs is uh, a real problem, even if you have an SSD. But uh, it's odd to me that we have these OSs that clearly are are geared toward. Just like a couple of years ago, the OSs started to be geared more toward SSDs than they were. Spindle drives, right? You know, now it's four cores, not two. Apple's entire laptop line, with the exception of the 15 inch, is all dual core, right? You know, even the 13 inch MacBook Pro is dual core, it's not quad core. And that just seems odd to me. And, you know, like the MacBook that they sell, right? The, the, what I would consider the low end of their, their laptop line. And even that's confusing because of the Air versus the MacBook. And you've got like, you know some capabilities of one that are better than the other, but but the MacBook at the low end speed wise has the same Mac Bench or Geekbench sorry score as my five year old MacBook Air from 2011, right? And yet my MacBook Air doesn't do all that great with Sierra. It'll run it. It's it's officially supported, but uh, it doesn't do all that great with it. And yet Apple's selling a machine. That's the at least CPU wise, the same speed. Now, maybe because that has eight gigs of RAM and I've only got four, maybe that's a bigger part of it than uh, than I think. And, and maybe it runs fine on that, but it just seems really odd to me what they're doing. So I'm really curious uh, in the next couple of weeks to see what happens with Apple's laptop line, because it needs it needs a cleanup. It, it's not that it just needs a refresh and the high end needs whatever chipset they're going to put in it. And we could you know argue that till the cows come home. And really we just argue it until Apple releases it. And then that'll be that. Um, but, but I'm, I'm more concerned about kind of the, the low to mid tier uh, because they, they need to like, they need to offer us some clarity on that. Like this whole air versus MacBook thing is a weird scenario. You know, I, I want the air with a retina screen. That's like that to me, that's the perfect laptop but that doesn't exist. You know, you can either get the MacBook, which is kind of woefully underpowered or, or you have to go to the, the, you know, the high end pro, which is a more expensive, but also much bigger to get, you know, to get that kind of stuff. So that's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see what Apple cleans up. Um, it might wind yeah. up costing me a lot of money because I think, we, we need a fresh crop of laptops here in the Hamilton household. At least the kids certainly do um, for school and stuff. So yep. it should be interesting. I, I would like to buy them reefer machines once Apple, you know, refreshes this and maybe I can cause they, they really like the 15 inch screens. So, so that might open like the 15 inch MacBook pro right now is a great machine and will last someone a very, very long time. I feel, but, but anything
0: else, yeah. it's like eh, I don't but, know. Um, but to his point, so one, so even though they do have, well, hang on, okay, I, 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 I,
1: I, Talk to me about CPUs. I, I'm curious as to your thoughts. We can go back to graphics if you want, but I felt like we exhausted that. But if, you, if if there's something more to say, that's great. But, but well, I mean, if you want, CPUs I mean, I'm here. looking
0: here. You know, I mean, the 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 latest 15 inch machine does have a four core option if you if you want it
1: right oh no it, it i think that's the only way to get it right can you get it without um uh, the only choice irc is four cores yeah right so. no that's but that's like that's a monstrous machine but you can't get a 13 inch that way right, right. Ugh, it's crazy
0: yeah but i guess in general i would agree that the uh you know in a lot of the even the discrete graphics are all m we're clearly know, going in- back to graphics okay well, I'm just saying if there's an M in there, that indicates that that's a mobile graphics chipset. So right. you're not going to get, uh, and it seems that Apple doesn't want to take that direction. I mean, other vendors do. Like when I used to get Dell's, I would get beastly, super high-performing machines. I mean, they, they chewed battery, but they sure. did what I needed. You know, if you wanted to pay for it, you could get a hulking, you know, heavy, <laughs> kind of unwieldy laptop that was basically a desktop. Right. You was know, what I'd always get. You know, right, right. I, I, I would tend towards the higher end because I was doing graphics. Pro- I was doing stuff that actually needed the, you know, a better processor. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah.
1: But make sure you get eight gigs of Ram because you can buy a 13 inch MacBook pro brand new from Apple right now. And the default is four gigs of Ram and, um, and a dual core. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a decent dual core processor, but, uh, I don't know, man, it seems kind of crazy to me. So I'm curious to see. In fact, if you have to buy a laptop right now, see if you can wait about two and a half weeks because I think you're going to have different options to choose from. Yes, I, I, I've seen the rumor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got to happen. You know, even even Tim Cook sort of acknowledged it. Right? Somebody emailed him and said, "What's the deal?" And Tim's like, "Stay tuned."
0: <laughs> All right. All I got to say, Dave, what the heck is photo analysis D? Oh, dude, then why is it? Why is it taking up two hundred percent? All right. So let's like have this days. conversation. This
1: is important. No, because I I, this. It, so wait a minute. You're dealing with this, too. You don't run iCloud photo
0: library, right? No, no. And it seems this photo analysis is a busy little beaver here doing something. I,
1: and if you quit photos, of course, it keeps doing whatever it's doing. So clearly it's doing this with uh, your existing photo library or the things that it's pulling down from photo stream, which happens in the background, whatever, whether or not photos is open. Yeah. I, and and this is what drives me crazy on my MacBook Air, right? Because it's the, you know it's like a it's not a super powered dual core. It you know well, it's a one point something, one point uh, seven, I think is what I got yeah. it with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, th- and this is like this is the problem is these kinds of things. Like if I could tell photo uh, photo what what is it? Photo Library D. You said it. Photo analysis. Photo D. analysis D. That's it. I wish I could like not have that run. If Photos wasn't open, like, look, I need to do other things with my computer. Just stop. And so I actually do. I use App Tamer, right, to uh, to keep that thing at bay, especially on my on my MacBook Air, because I need the CPU for other things, like you know everything else that I want to do at the computer. Yeah, it, it. This is the thing that's it's driving me crazy and it just doesn't stop it you know i don't add a lot of photos to to my library i mean maybe i mean maybe 10 maximum 10 a day right it's not like a ton and and yet this thing constantly i turn on you know i wake up my macbook air and it's like oh okay i'll come back in 5 minutes maybe 10 when you've sort of finished but not really cuz photo analysis d is going to fire up again for some reason it's not like I have thousands of pictures pouring into my library every day. What is up with that? They got to get that under control, man. God drives me crazy. I don't know if you could tell, but this is a sort of a sore point for me. This is why, you know, what I, uh, I was, I was, we were ranting about something else. And, uh, in, in our TMO staff meeting, like before the meeting began the other day, and it was just Jeff and I and John Martellero joined and, and he heard it was a rant like this, but it wasn't about photo analysis. D. And John said, ah, are we pining away for the days of Snow Leopard again? And it's true. It's like you added too much crap to the OS. Just like, like, find me a way to slow that crap down. Drives me crazy. All right. Right? I mean, have you figured this out? What is it doing? I don't know. <laughs> it's like Jiminy. That's all I have to say about it. What is up with that? It, and this is what I say when Apple is is assuming that we all have four core machines. This is exactly what I'm talking about. It's like like processes like this that are just going to go nuts and suggest D. I mean, it's constantly rebuilding my my uh, my Spotlight indexes. It's like guys, but maybe whoa, let's slow down on that. Let's, let's slow down. Can I just use my computer? Like when I wake it up, this is a really bad time for you to decide to index all my photos and everything again. Maybe I woke up the computer because I want to use it. Like that might have been the reason. It wasn't so that you could just like chew up 100% of my CPU for a good long while. And Brian Monroe in the chat room is right. He says, I need a faster system to run the OS I'm running. Well, Yeah. But I I like I want to be able to turn things off. Photos is a big one because it not only chews up CPU, but it chews up people's bandwidth in ways that are is uncontrollable. We just had had a couple of listeners saying how if I have like he, we had uh, a MiFi, right? Jerome, this was and I'm doing this up from memory, but he said he has a MiFi uh, and he lives on a boat like this is cool. You know, and like a long vacation with his family or whatever. Maybe he just lives on a boat. And uh, and he uses a Wi-Fi. So all of their iOS devices think that they're on Wi-Fi because that's how you connect to the Wi-Fi. And when you're on Wi-Fi, photo library or photo stream, whatever it is, just starts blasting all your pictures up. How do you stop that on iOS? It's because otherwise it's going to use all his cellular bandwidth. There's no way. You can't. Impossible. Sorry. We're just going to go ahead and do this anyway. Sucks. What do you think, John?
0: What, what problem do you have with photo analysis, D? <laughs> I'm still trying to figure what it's doing. So I went into uh, activity monitor, and then you click on a process, and then you get a open files and ports. And uh, apparently, so I'm looking, users, my name, library, containers, com.apple.photoanalysis.d slash data. And when I look in that directory... There's like nothing, there's like 10 megs of data in there. It's like, it, it's it's doing all this work and I don't see the output.
1: Here's the interesting thing. I Oh, maybe photo analysis D is a Sierra process because I don't have it on the computer I'm on here uh, because this one's still on El Capitan because Taskam you know, will take for freaking ever to build uh, OS 10 or Mac OS drivers uh, for the new OS. But we'll, we'll save that ramp for another time. Um, but photo library D would do this on, on El Capitan too, but it seems like photo analysis on Sierra is even even worse. Yeah, man. <sighs> drives me crazy.
0: Yep, I can see it. The, so the last entry in that open files and ports list is something in my master. The, yeah, it, it's, it's just tearing through all my photos. Just Again, let's
1: just use the word again because you know that it's already done this at least once. Right. I mean, you've had Sierra on this machine for a little while, right? A few days. Yeah. yeah. A few days. If you can't get your job done in a few days, maybe that particular process should be rethought. Just, I'm just, it's just a suggestion. But if you worked for me, yeah. you wouldn't do that to people's computers. We wouldn't, we wouldn't ship that crap. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. That felt good. It did. We needed that. Oh, goodness. I want answers. Yeah. All
1: right. Let's, um, I, I, I stepped into this, so let's, uh, let's go, let's go to Jason here because it, I don't know, maybe I didn't step into it, but it's close enough to, to Jerome's thing traveling. This is it. There's a, there's a good heads up on this here. Um, because I don't want to get into the photos questions because we don't have time for that, but we got maybe time for one or two more. So, uh, Jason asks, He says uh, I'm traveling to Europe for a few months and I'm looking at options for cell phones. I don't need a ton of calling, but text and data would be necessary. Uh, And, and so I suggested, or I, I mentioned that we used three UK uh, for our, our Sims in throughout Europe, but this is the trick you have to uh, because of the way, presumably because of the way the regulations are, You have to you can use your Sims, a Europe sim throughout most of Europe without incurring extra like data roaming charges that 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 problem was sort of mandated uh, throughout the EU because of or a solution to that problem was mandated because people were getting screwed when they just like hopped over to a different country and they'd suddenly find themselves. It'd be like in the States here, you know, me going down to visit John and paying data roaming charges. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not cool. Uh, So you got to look at the plan that you get and make sure that you're not paying data roaming charges, but, but it's totally possible and, and, uh, and, and should work out. However, the country of origin of your SIM is the only country from which you can add money or, or, you know, credits to your SIM. So we got, uh, in fact, a listener sent us uh, a bunch of SIMs before we left on vacation, which great And Lucas and I, my son and I were able to go through and buy like via PayPal and some shady operation credits for two of them. And then even that shut the wall on us. And they're like, no, you have to be in the UK to buy this. You need a UK address. And it's just some legislation that says you can't be in one country and top up a SIM from another. So thankfully, London was our first destination and once we got there, right in the airport, we were able to top up the other two sims for for people. So you just got to plan a for that. There's really going to be no way unless you have a friend in London that you can just send money and then they can put credits on your account. That honestly would be the easiest way. But it, it's it's not a problem doing it when you get off the plane. Uh, it took us like five minutes. It's it was cheaper, in fact, doing it in the airport than it was trying to use these shady PayPal operators because they wanted uh, extra bucks for you know for making it happen in, in advance. And it wasn't a big deal. Um, however, Jason then asked the question, um, how did iMessage work with the new carrier? Did you just link the new number to iMessage? And yeah, as soon as you activate a new SIM or put a new SIM in your phone, uh, iMessage will say, Hey, you know, uh, do you want to use this number for iMessage? And the answer in in your case would, would most likely be Yes. And then, because iMessage is synced via iCloud, it propagates that to all your other devices. So your Mac will say, "Hey, a new number is being used for iMessage." But here's something to remember: your old number is no longer being used for iMessage for you. Uh, if someone texts or if some well, if someone texts you at your old number, you won't get it. If someone iMessages you at your old number, you won't get it because your phone is not linked to that number anymore. And, and we realized this before we left. So the thing to do is to go into your iMessage preferences and tell it to start all new conversations, not from your phone number, but from one of your attached email addresses. And it could be your iCloud email address, but it could also be any other address that you've assigned or attached to your uh, to your iMessage account. So um, and you do this by going into on your iPhone, go into uh settings messages and then send and receive and you get to pick all the addresses that you can be reached at and one of them will be your phone number uh, and then you'll have a bunch of email addresses if you've added them and then at the bottom of that list you choose to start new conversations from and you pick an email address and uh, instead of your phone number there and that way as you change sims all those conversations that exist will just work seamlessly and you can can and should do this on your Mac too. For years, I thought it was best to start conversations from your phone number. Uh, and that's true right up until the point that you change phone numbers uh, because you're using a different SIM and that's what happens with a different SIM. So just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, any, any thoughts on this, John? Does it does do what I say make sense?
0: Yes. Okay.
1: I'll
0: yeah. remember it the next time I,
1: well, I, I recommend everybody just change their iMessage to start coming from an email address like right away. And then if you ever find yourself in that situation, you don't have to worry about it because chances are all of your existing iMessage conversations are now linked to your email, not to your phone number.
0: So I think know. that's how I'm set up already.
1: On the Mac, you would go into messages, preferences, accounts choose your iMessage account. And then at the bottom of that window, it says start new conversations from, and you can choose whatever you want.
0: Ah, and I'm Uh, doing mine for my email address.
1: Yeah, but it's different. You can, I mean, you can, the, the, that preference does not propagate uh, across iCloud. So you could have your phone start from your phone and your Mac start from your email or vice versa. You could have your phone start from your email and your Mac start from your phone. I I recommend homogenizing it and, and keeping them all in sync so that you're not driving yourself crazy. But uh, you know, set it to an email address that you will always have. So make sure it's not like you're, you know, at Comcast dot net email or you know whatever your provider
0: is. Because if you're oh your dot com,
1: yeah, okay, yeah, there you go, right? Yeah, that'll yeah, never yeah. go away. I hope. Yeah, right. Yeah, I use my Mac Observer address because I I own that domain, or we as the company own that domain. So it's you know presumably, although I guess if we ever sold Mac Observer, I would lose that. Uh, maybe, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I would make that yeah. p- part of the deal. <laughs> I need to keep that email address for a while. But anyway, it's um, yeah. Uh, there you go. So that's uh, that's Jason, and I think I think that's going to be our time for today. I was hoping to get to a couple other things, but uh, you know, that's uh, sometimes a good rant just has to come out. It's all the caffeine today. I doubled down, John, about halfway through the show. I realized I needed more uh, hydration, and instead of grabbing water out of the fridge, I grabbed a a Mountain Dew. So,
0: oh boy, yeah,
1: that's good though. Helps with the allergies, and it didn't. You know, I I always joke, but it's not really a joke. That caffeine um, further reduces my tolerance for humanity, or further uh, increases my impatience. But, But I think we did okay here today. Yeah, Mountain Dew—that's got the juice, man. It's yeah, I like it. I actually like Diet Dew because that way I don't have to deal with the sugar ebbs and flows that that come with the uh, yeah with the sugar there. So yeah, yeah.
0: from what I recall, uh, for for caffeine content of sodas, uh, Mountain Dew is—it's uh, not like Jolt. But uh, remember Jolt? Uh, Jolt had more sugar. I think I thought Mountain Dew had more caffeine. Mountain Dew has
1: uh, fifty-four milligrams per twelve-ounce can. Nice. Well, they have to put that stuff on there now, so it's good. But, co- like, a cup of coffee has has far more than that. so Like, significantly more.
0: Just take Nodos, Just get your, oh, just, yeah, your caffeine. Oh,
1: just chew on the caffeine right there. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's good. <laughs> yep, that's how it works. And if you're chewing on the caffeine and you want to let us know about it, you can send an email to feedback at macgeekgab.com. Did you say feedback at macgeekgab.com? I most certainly did say feedback feedback at MacGeekGab.com.
1: Unless you're a premium subscriber, in which case you can email premium at MacGeekGab.com. Premium subscribers that were uh, mentioned in this episode were Michael, the Spotlight Clone Wars, Roger with Handbrake, Ken with his mail issue, David with his Dropbox syncing question, and finally Jason with his iMessage question question which is uh, always good. Thank you so much for being a premium subscriber. You can learn more about it at com, And uh, we really, really appreciate uh, all of your support. Also appreciate our sponsors' uh, support. And that's, uh, well, we mentioned in the show, we had Gazelle at Gazelle.com. We had Text Expander from Smile at SmileSoftware.com slash geek and Casper at Casper.com slash MGG. We appreciate everybody that's part of our Facebook group i want to point out something somebody uh reported an issue with i can't remember exactly what it was but kind of a weird i think it was an ios issue but it might have been a sierra issue there are apple engineers that are part of that group and participate uh, generally in the group in terms of both answers and questions but one of them saw this note and said hey i want to i want to file a, a radar about that and uh and oh, it was it was about the phone waking up when it shouldn't be. The, the whole it was the the, the iOS uh, raise to wake thing, and it was happening when it shouldn't. And he said, you know, tell me all about it. And he got the details, and he filed an internal bug about it. So the Facebook group at uh, macgeekup.com dot com slash Facebook is a great place to be, not just for that reason, but that's certainly one of them. We've got really, really great folks that are a part of it. So join us over there we would love to have you I think we're closing in on 1500 members on that one right now so it's all really 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 good stuff I also want to thank Cashfly C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you other sponsors in the podcast marketplace include Fat Cat Software dot like fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG Power Photos and iPhoto Library Manager Otherworldcomputing at MacSales.com Software at Barebones.com And all of you, thanks so much. John, you got us into this mess today.
0: Why don't you help and get us out? Three words of advice. Three? Three. 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 Oh, I know what they are. Don't get caught. Made